Hello, my name is Brad Crilly. I'm the Managing Director for Mizuho in Canada. Welcome to the Digital Horizons Leaders Podcast, where we speak with people at the vanguard of planning for and responding to the seismic changes being delivered by Digital Transformation 3.0. We welcome Bhushan Avatari, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Enbridge. Bhushan joined Enbridge in 2018 and leads the functions of information technology, cybersecurity, business process simplification, operational technology, and data and digital. In this role, Bhushan has shaped the digital strategy for the company, including the launch of technology plus innovation labs while transforming technology services into a strategic enabler for Enbridge. Briefly, can you give us an overview of what your role looks like in Enbridge? Well, thank you, Brad. I think you, you covered it well. It's, uh, it's a pretty exciting role. I get the pleasure of uh, really dealing with uh, a diverse set of um, issues from an operational standpoint, but also the benefit of uh, truly taking a strategic look at technology uh, broadly across the different technology asset classes, be it uh, in our asset and um, to our operations technology, information and digital-based uh, technologies, and really apply them in a way that drives maximizing you know, the, the returns on our invested capital. And uh, it's all about applied technology and applied innovation. So that's, uh, that's a very fortunate uh, role, and uh, I love it. When you think about pipelines, it's, it's a pretty... Well, from many people's views, they look at it as being something that's been around for a long time. Maybe just, you know, starting there, how do you think about technology innovation when it comes to a very mature business like the pipeline business? Yeah, I think when we think about pipeline and more broadly, uh, the industry, oil and gas, you know, my own experience is a bit of a fortune uh, in terms of experiencing technology enhancements and its application uh, across the industry. So when I was in upstream, saw a lot of application of technology, and this is uh, well covered in the press, or especially around exploration and, and seismic and, and production, not just horizontal drilling and fracking. But that said, there's a lot of application of technology in the midstream, in the downstream parts of the value chain, in oil and gas and at Enbridge. We uh, have a large crude oil and natural gas business. We're also, as you said, one of the largest energy infrastructure companies. And the way we've um, employed technology is uh, to be very purposeful about constantly looking for innovation. For example, in our pipeline, the midstream business, uh, we have invested in improving the applications of material science. We have improved um, the deployment of magnetics, ultrasonics, acoustics-based uh, detection technologies. And these things have significantly improved the fidelity of detection of leaks, for example. We've also improved chemistry and drag-reducing agents. That helps us with improved throughput in pipelines. So that's the asset side of technology. But I'll say this. Irrespective of what part of the value chain in oil and gas, what I see is a universal adoption of and exploitation of digital technologies. So for us in pipelines, it's been enhancing asset technologies, which are collecting more data, and then we're optimizing that 
and exploiting that data through digital technologies. We, we are using machine learning, for example, artificial intelligence, and we're reducing false alarms, right? And that's improving our proactive maintenance. We are uh, deploying augmented reality, uh, and we're integrating that with our workforce so we can represent some very diverse and complex uh, field operations, and that's driving better situational awareness. So that's a little bit of what we're doing. In preparing for this uh, chat with you, I was doing a little bit of background, and I noticed Enbridge is part of the iPipe Consortium, and you guys are now starting to think about uh, monitoring from satellites in terms of your business. That's a far step away from, from how we think about the midstream business. How much more can you do with that type of technology? I'll give an example of how we're unlocking value. It's through an effective integration of technology and across our value chain. So when I say the integration of technology, it's back to think about technology asset classes. In our example that you mentioned, we have many critical assets. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a rotating equipment or a flow meter or something else. What we're doing is investing in this ability to get data, be it through satellites, be it through a new uh, UV uh, LIDAR instrument, or be it through instrumentation in the assets themselves. So the flow meter, We've uh, modernized the flow meter to become uh, an ultrasonic flow meter, better instrumentation and sensor. Now we've built a systemic way to uh, extract the data from the device and transport it in real time and refine it. And that is sort of key to preparing the data, if you will, to be exploited through the applications of predictive analytics. And uh, last month, uh, we did a pilot, uh, concluded a pilot that demonstrated about a 90% increase in accuracy of predicting failure. So, and in many cases, this was like two days in advance of the failure. So it's that kind of a shift in fidelity, but it's through an effective integration of technology across that, that spectrum. And it's, it's shifting our uh, maintenance from break freaks to truly predictive. Does that technology, is it, is it becoming integrated in how you allocate capital to various projects? That's right. So it's doing this at scale. And what, what it helps us do at, at a very basic level is be able to more effectively deploy or redeploy both labor and capital. And that's really the benefit of scale and the portfolio. Uh, in many cases, it is to drive, you know, we are in competitive uh, businesses uh, so uh, such capability is uh, absolutely important just to drive the level of unit economics and cost competitiveness, uh, but also the operational safety and performance. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting about Enbridge. You know, I've been associated with Enbridge as a, as a banker for a long time, and I've always admired Enbridge because it, it makes investments in different technologies uh, that I've seen over over time. But in terms of advancing it now to a scale, are you going to have to build the technology yourself? Are you going to have to do the heavy lifting from a R&D perspective? Or where do you go to get the best technology that you need for your business? Is it built to suit or is it something that is readily available? Yeah, you know, the answer is both. We do partner, we do our own investments uh, in R&D. And that's, I think, you know, the right answer. This is not about trying to figure it out ourselves. So we do have some really good uh, JB partnerships, um, uh, GIP joint investment plans. But but in R&D, you know, the leak detection is a good example. We are quite uh, leading edge uh, in, in that regard. And I think we we think about what we have built to your, is a very good ecosystem of 
of partners. And um, it works really well in terms of a design and operation, but it also brings about truly a diverse set of perspectives that help us constantly scan what's going on and then be able to quickly adapt uh, and, and apply. And that adaptation and application comes, it, it happens because we have this foundation. You know, I call it our digital platform. And, and that digital platform is really made up of three things, right? It's people and, and the right capability in it. Uh, it has processes which includes the right ways of working, uh, but also methods uh, like design thinking and agile that are built in. And then of course it has uh, technology, uh, which is the right uh, advanced technologies also architected in a way that can truly scale. So uh, we can talk a little bit more about our platform, but that is a true competitive advantage for us. You know, it, it's interesting. We had the pleasure of having uh, your CEO, Al Monaco, participate in an energy roundtable with us back in February. And a lot of the focus and then the discussion was about the decarbonization of the industry going to a lower carbon footprint. Do you think the further you go down this path of digital technologies, you can accelerate that decarbonization? Or does the technology give you more data to identify more things that you need to get done? How do you use your technology to move to a path of a decarbonization? We embrace um, AI and ML uh, to, to better predict, uh, but also to start now prescribing and uh, and then start performing some complex uh, tasks that, that human experts do. And we have several examples of how we have been uh, deploying these uh, technologies, not just AR, uh, not just AI and ML, but also our AR and VR, right? Digital twins. We have natural language processing in our chatbots. We have robotic process automation. So all of these are driving decarbonization, but also increasing customer satisfaction, right? In different ways. So one example is a digital product that we've built. It applies machine learning to navigate some complex bottlenecks, and this is in our terminals. And if you think about it, it's not just optimizing the flow of hydrocarbons, but the improvements in those flow paths result in significant capacity and throughput increase uh, across the entire system. So it's, it's a good example of rate loss reduction. Another example of a digital product is we've built proprietary algorithms, and then we've now created the machine learning model that is very quickly and effectively identifying risk um, in our gas pipeline. So if you think about emissions and emissions reduction, this is right in, in the smack middle of it. Uh, and what we're getting is not just an increased confidence on our pipeline safety, but we're again back to your point about optimizing maintenance dollars and reducing unnecessary digs. So again, improving labor and capital allocation or reallocation. The detection example that you mentioned is uh, probably another interesting one. So this is about um, detecting the hydrocarbon signature, uh, detecting small leaks and mitigating, uh, if you will, any potential damage quickly. But we're also getting a benefit of the, applying the same technology in a right-of-way. So we're managing now our right-of-way, which is, uh, if you think about some of the geography where our pipes are, it's, uh, it's not exactly easy to get to. 
getting an early warning and being able to uh, take proactive actions to prevent potential uh, threats or incidents from happening. And behind um, uh, the data acquisition is the machine learning. So uh, it's also, you know, back to how all of this happens is our platform, right? It delivers what I would say is not just improved business performance, but also improved environmental and uh, safety performance. Yeah. You mentioned risk and what comes to mind these days is what happened to the Colonial Pipeline, the cybersecurity aspect of, of your business. You know, as, as banks, when we have significant credit events, it's an intense discussion about things, whether it be macro or, or smaller, but the whole notion that if there's a risk, we're trying to, to mitigate it the best way we can. When we saw the cybersecurity breach or how best to describe it on the Colonial Pipeline, like how would Enbridge react to that? And what kind of technologies does Enbridge employ so that it doesn't have that kind of event? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, if you think about it, for us, um, being a critical infrastructure uh, provider, we very much recognize cybersecurity. It is one of our top operational risks. And then we not just you know recognize it, but we take all the right actions to continuously monitor the landscape, the threat landscape, and um, drive an appropriate level of program. So what has happened, though, to your point, is a continued increase in both the sophistication and the frequency of uh, the threat and the attacks. Uh, and Colonial is a good example. I, I think if you step back, what it means is, and what it has driven from a colonial standpoint, is more active collaboration across, be it industry, be it governments, be it regulations, be it all, all parties. And some of the things that have been happening in the past have just basically accelerated. For example, driving better, faster information sharing between government agencies and private companies. And there is a lot of intelligence, um, but how can we tap into that intelligence being better organized so private sector operators can better tap into that intel. And if you think about some of the regulation that's come out, uh, the more recent US um, Transportation Security Administration Directive, um, so there's been two directives that have been published. Uh, they have the things like incident reporting, uh, which is good. We welcome it because it leads to faster gathering and sharing of information back, uh, but also, we have to recognize that each one of these incidents has driven up the capacity for rulemaking, right? And, and regulation is increasing. So I, I think about it as cyber regulation for critical infrastructure is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it's uh, setting a minimum set of security standards. So everybody has the same baseline. And then it's about continuing to achieve resilience uh, beyond that. For us, we're very... Uh, committed. We have a strong focus on cybersecurity and not just security, but cyber resilience. So, you know, think about it as uh, having the right capabilities, having the right layers of defense uh, and the policies and the procedures. Uh, but it's with a view to protect all stakeholders, be it consumers, be it employees, um, and anybody else uh, that does get impacted from a cyber breach. Yeah, it's interesting. But take a bit of a pivot here and like to 
get your thoughts on some things as an executive. So as I mentioned on the start, you were um, awarded the Catalyst Honors Champion for 2021. You've been a big advocate of inclusion in the workforce, uh, promoting women in leadership positions. And you've been, you know, you've worked for some pretty amazing companies. If you're mentoring younger executives today, what are you telling them? Find a way to become an ally. If I demystify you know, what that means, at least to me, at a basic level, it is to support, it's to advocate, it's to sponsor, and it's to stand next to uh, or behind a community uh, that, that you could help. And so I'd say do that. Now, here's the advantage. Every one of us or most of us has an opportunity to be an ally. As so, for example, as a male, I choose to be an ally to females. There's personal motivations. I think about my daughter. I think about you know my wife, my mother, my mother-in-law, etc. But also professional, my colleagues and friends at work, right? So I think most of us have this opportunity. Similar example to be an ally for cis people and straight people, and both men and women can be allies to an LGBTQ plus community. Those of us who are you know maybe physically able-bodied people. Uh, we can be allies to those with maybe physical limits or different abilities. So uh, we all have uh, an opportunity to help uh, advocate support. And in there, I would also say the benefit is about learning. My experience is, you know, diversity just doesn't happen because it's a wishful thinking. Um, but we do know diversity is critical to business success, right? It's not just experience, but also science. Find uh, a group of people who are more diverse and have the diversity in thought and expertise, be job-related, technical, functional, or otherwise. Because if you think about innovation, what we see constantly is a diverse set of folks are better at innovating, at solving complex problems, non-routine problems. And that's kind of where the world is going to um, as more jobs are and grunt work is being automated by robots and in technology. So there's a benefit here around just learning that uh, that I think uh, is worth embracing. So being somebody that had their working career centered around technology, you sit on the board of a very interesting center here in Calgary, the Spark Center. How How are you seeing that in terms of promoting the values that you have just described? I joined the Science Center, you know, to pay it forward to the local community. When I step back, I see the pace of uh, science and technology and the adoption of science and technology, right? It's just uh, continues to accelerate. And gaining comfort in science and technology is such an important part. I think about the future of jobs. So we need, uh, from my standpoint, I need always to help all members of our community to both see the opportunity, but also to seize the opportunity. So my effort and my hope is um, that many members of our society, especially the younger generation, develop a curiosity, a comfort, uh, and an interest in, in science and technology. And there's no better way to do it than to making it fun. So, you know, the Science Center is exciting. It's about entertaining. And that's my hope in joining uh, the board there. So we can, uh, we can do things to really uh, make a life-altering decision uh, for young people 
through you know getting comfort and curiosity. We're doing a few things recently. We launched a digital uh, immersion experience. Uh, there's a new virtual reality meets robotic experience uh, that's coming in September. You should visit Brad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could spend all day there. It's a very intriguing place. So when you look to the future, is there one or two trends in technology that you're seeing as being very important that maybe people haven't been able to identify the significance of yet? From a technology perspective, there's there's a lot of literature there. So here's my view. There's not something radically new or unknown in terms of an invention. What it's more about is rapid innovation. And it's in, in all the spaces that we know. So to me, it's about the degree, the pace of innovation. And here's a trend, the convergence of multiple technologies, and that's going to unlock value. For us, what we're doing is really think about effective ways to converge the engineering operational information-based technologies uh, and be it you know, artificial intelligence or sensors uh, at the edge and the telemetry and the networks uh, or the robotics or the material science improvements or the, in chemistry or AR and VR. So to me, the convergence there is going to be the key. And I think for us, what we are doing is you know, taking advantage of the tailwinds. So we've seen significant improvement in price performance. It's especially pronounced in certain asset classes. For example, think about the reduced cost and the improvement in performance for computing assets, for devices, battery storage, sensors, right? So how do we take advantage of that price performance uh, improvement and then apply the benefit of our scale? So this digital platform that I mentioned is what allows us to be able to really play in and have the optionality to play in many different businesses, driving a, a lower unit cost, if you will, for AI and ML. And what we're doing is converging effectively physical and digital assets, right? It's the sensors that are part of our internet of things. They're connecting and collecting data from various endpoints. We have a consumer business, be it remote pumping stations, then we're applying machine learning and predictive analytics. And that's driving a level of performance through insights. Um, and we have a growing amount of data, right, that we can apply machine learning to. Uh, the, the convergence is also around uh, augmented reality. So we have built, for example, a digital twin for our wind farms. What that's doing, it's changing the game by allowing insights uh, from operations for our workers uh, in control centers. And so it's more situational awareness. And, and then we have the application of robotic process uh, automation. So that's also freeing up our employees from a lot of the grunt work, right? And uh, driving productivity as well in our call centers. So we will continue to diversify and be part of the energy transition. And this digital platform truly gives us the ability to uh, differentiate ourselves. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. I wish we had more time to discuss it. Well, listen, thanks so much for making the time. On behalf of Mizuho, we can't thank you and Enbridge enough for sharing your thoughts around this very interesting topic. Well, thank you, Brad. Enjoyed, uh, enjoyed connecting. Thank you for listening to the Digital Horizons Leaders Podcast. Visit our website, www.mizuhodigitalhorizons.com for more episodes in the series and read more on the trends and technologies emerging from 
Digital Transformation 3.0. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Mizuho entity to the listener. Neither Mizuho nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or the completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct or indirect or consequential losses or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Mizuho, and Mizuho is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of the podcast by any listener is not to be taken as the giving of investment advice by Mizuho, nor to constitute that person a client of any Mizuho entity. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit MizuhoGroup.com forward slash Americas.